the gift that he's given us in our guests this morning. Chris, we're so honored to have you with us. It's a, it's a blast to be together. Uh, I hope you feel the same in uh, Hoisington's. Uh, we're so glad to have you here as well. And uh, it's good to, to be with your wife and your daughter. Um, it's good to be with all of you this morning. Amen? It's good to be with everybody who's joining us online. We trust that there are some people who are uh, joining us online because they have to, they've been told to, uh, and there's others that uh, this is what's working for them right now. We just know and want to invite you, if you're following us online, to like and share, uh, but know that the invitation stands. We would love for you to join us uh, on a Sunday because there's something about being in the room. We, we trust that God's able to meet you where you're at, but there's something about being in the room. We have three services, 9, 10, and 11. Come out and join us. Amen? Amen. Well, I want to say thank you uh, to all the people who filled in for me. Uh, we, we, we have a little bit of a problem this morning because uh, those guys did such a great job, didn't they, of just anchoring our hearts in, in the Lord and in the reality of where he's at. I know it was good for my soul uh, to not be here, uh, and you guys, it was probably good for your soul to not hear from me all the time, constantly, um, but the problem is this. I, I haven't been in the pulpit for four weeks, and you know, when you have a preacher that loves to preach and it's all, all up in you, like, this, this could go real long this morning, so I, I promise. I got a lot of words, but I'm, I, I drank some caffeine before I got up here. I'm going to try to deliver them fast, so if you just buckle up and ride with me, we can do this as quick as possible. Sound good? People tell me to slow down all the time, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to like, find the balance, make sure that I enunciate, and we will get there. Uh, I want to talk about uh, what, what the guys who have been preaching f- uh, for us, sharing the word with us, kind of led us into, and that's anchoring our hearts in the Lord. Um, it, it's so important to do that, and here's the thing, it's hard to do that right now. It's usually very easy in January, because the Bills lose, and then we don't, we don't have playoffs, and so we can focus on you know, a week of prayer and all that God wants to do with us in the new year. But right now, there's a room full of people and people watching us online. Maybe you're at home because you're getting ready like it's a Super Bowl Sunday, because the Bills are still in the playoffs, right? The, like... But here's the thing, it's really hard to preach to a room of people whose hearts want to be anchored in the Lord, like you're joining us online, you're here, like you want to worship the Lord, but your minds are somewhere else, right? Right? You're you're here because you want to get this done so you can get to the game tonight. But here's the thing, I think it's so important that we anchor our hearts in the Lord, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, You know, I had, had, this is is really interesting, because I'm full. Like, I had three messages on, we're going to finish the Mighty series in January, I was ready to preach. And the Lord said, hey, put those aside. So I got those in my pocket. That's great. Like, they're, they're outlined. They're ready to go. Um, and then I had a series that I was going to preach after that about this time on covenant. And I got five messages on covenant that I'm so excited about because when we know who God is and we see him through the covenants that he's made with us as a covenant making and keeping God, we understand how to operate in the earth and we see the glory of God and even we see Jesus in the Old Testament covenants. And I'm excited to talk about that. But as I got ready to get that first one finalized on Monday, the Lord said, you're not going to preach that. I'm like, okay, well then give me what you want. And in 15 minutes, the Lord gave me three sermons that Lord willing will do this week and the next two that I think he wants 15 minutes, like scriptures and outlines for these sermons. That's pretty spectacular. I love when he does that. So here's the thing. He's got me so full. I got eight messages in the pocket plus two ready for this, three ready for this series. And I'm going to try not to blow them all on you this morning. Because that's, like, that's too much for my brain to do, and I think it'd, just, it'd be a lot of talking, and so we're just going to kind of like slow down and, and get through it, and we're going to talk about anchoring our hearts in the Lord, because I believe that I have a word, for, like this isn't just a sermon series, I believe that this is a word from the Lord for each one of us individually, it's a word for the, 
from the Lord for this church. I believe it's actually a word from the Lord for this region and the church in this nation and, and actually all around the world. I believe that God is leading us into a time because there has been so much shaking going on, because there's been so much exposure, because there's been so many different voices that have tried to attach to believers, as God has in his grace allowed us to be shaken. You know it's his grace to have stuff shaken off our lives? Do you know it's his grace for us to be a little bit disillusioned when we, when we paste our hope in something else? That's his grace. And there's been so much exposure and so much shaking that I believe we, God has set us up not only to, to recognize that something's not right, but he's set us up for the greatest invitation that we've ever known. And it's an invitation for us to see him, to be intimate with him, and to have power in him. And Lord willing, that's what we're going to talk about over the next three weeks Because if we can recognize our need, if we can recognize and walk in the reality that the answer is in Jesus alone, and if we're willing to wait on Jesus in his process, I believe that we will walk into the greatest season of vision, the greatest season of intimacy, and the greatest season of power that we've known personally and we've ever known in this church. And I'm looking forward to what that looks like. I mean, just dream with me for a minute. What would it look like in a region for a church, a body of believers, not just this church, but churches together, to walk into the greatest season of vision, intimacy, and power? Like, like just, if you have to close your eyes for a minute, just what what would it look like for neighborhoods to be transformed? For, For healing to just, like, sweep an area? For, like, for the church to have the solution because we're connected to Jesus to the issues that people are facing. When, when schools are shut down and people don't know what the heck to do, the church rising up and saying, this is what to do. Imagine a group of people, not just one or two people walking in a, a Daniel anointing or a Joseph anointing or a David anointing to serve at the highest levels, the people that God's called. But what about a church, a, a church in general, a body that's all equipped that way, that wherever we go, we carry the solution in Jesus. What would that look like? Pretty spectacular, right? But what does it take to get there? That's my next question. And here's what I want to say. I want to say that what it, what it takes is to be with Jesus like never before. And here's the really good news. And it might not sound like good news when I read the scripture to you, but here's the really good news. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 24 says this. The Lord your God is a devouring, some versions say consuming fire. He's a jealous God. Now, most people who would preach this would preach fire, brimstone, and, you know, like, we, we don't understand the jealousy of God because we don't experience it ourselves. This is not jealousy that is needy. It's not jealousy that is proud, right? It's not jealousy of a hateful domination. This is a jealousy that, we're, that is looking to get, deliver to us blessed dominion. What do I mean by that? When we are the people of God and, and God, God is a consuming fire and we are consumed by him, he comes in, in his authority and his dominion into our lives and blesses us in such a way that it builds the kingdom, but we also get to walk in that blessing. Tony Evans said this, remember, the one thing that God cannot be is second. The one thing that God cannot do is be second in our lives. So the implication of God's identity as a consuming fire, the implication of God's jealousy for his people is this. It's, the, it's an invitation to relationship with him. If he is a consuming fire, if he is a jealous God, then he's, he's inviting us to be consumed. If he is jealous, he's inviting us to a relationship where he is number one. 
And I think today it would benefit us to look at the invitation that he's given us to be with him. And if we're going to do that, we're going to go back to what I think is, in some ways, the original invitation to be disciples. God's always been inv- inviting us all throughout Scripture. He's been inviting people into relationship with him. But there's this Scripture that highlights his invitation to walk with him in a fresh way. And I think it's important to do that. Why? Because have you ever had a, a, a disagreement with your husband or your wife about an invitation that you've gotten? Or like you've messed up the, the, the dates, the times? Like one of my greatest fears as, as a pastor, a minister, is to uh, miss the times for weddings. Like nightmares about that. In fact, a couple years ago, I was marrying somebody who's very close to me, who I love, and we were with them the night before the rehearsal dinner, and, and we went up and you know, said, hey, we'll see you tomorrow, we're so excited, we'll see you at, and we said the time that we thought it was, and they said, yeah, we'll see you then. Well, guess what? They didn't catch it, and I had it wrong, and I was an hour off in the wrong direction. And it wasn't coming here, like I like to be here an hour and a half or so early, so thank God for that, because I, I showed up about 20 minutes, because I was running late, I showed up about 20 minutes right before the ceremony. And if you know me, that's not enough time to meet with the, the groom and meet with the bride and pray over them. Like I want to be that calming influence in the middle of the swirl. And I'm walking into a whole new venue, like ready to minister because I missed the invitation. I wasn't paying attention. They had it right on the invitation that they sent me, but I had it written down wrong. Right, I had a misunderstanding. So I think it's important to, to look at the invitation again. And we're going to do that this morning. Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 1, verses 35 through 51. This is going to be the, the scripture that kind of centers us and sets us on our course for where we're going over the next three weeks. The invitation. This is the divine, the, the series is called Divine Invitation. The invitation that God has given us. And we're going to see some invitations in this encounter. The following day, scripture says, as John, this is John the Baptist, was again standing with two of his disciples. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, look, he says, look, pay attention, there is the Lamb of God. He gives clarity to what's happening for his disciples, and when John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Verse 38, Jesus looked around and saw them following. What do you want, he asked them. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And Jesus gives his first invitation, he says, come and see. So we're going to talk about this morning, Jesus' divine invitation as those who would be after him, those who would be consumed by him, that we would first come and see. And I think there's an important order to the way that he does this. And it was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying, and they remained with him the rest of the day. Andrew Simons, Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard what John said and then followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother, Simon, and told him, we found the Messiah, which means Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus, and looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, your name is Simon, son of John, but you'll be called Cephas, which means Peter. And the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip, and he said to him, come follow me, invitation number two, an invitation to intimacy with him. He's not just calling them to follow, he's calling them to himself. And Philip was from Bethsaida and Andrew in Peter's hometown. Philip went to look for Nathanael and told him, we have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathanael, can anything good come from Nazareth? Peter, or Philip says the same thing he had just heard the, next, the day before. He says, come and see for yourself. Already, he's repeating what Jesus did. See, when we're disciples, we will extend the invitation to others in the same way. And as they approached Jesus, he said, now here's a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity, How do you know about me, Nathanael asked. Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. Then Nathanael exclaimed, Rabbi, you're the son of God, the king of Israel. And Jesus asked him, do you believe this just because I told you I had seen you under the fig tree? 
And here's the third invitation that God gives us. And uh, we're not going to deal with all three invitations today. Today's come and see, and Lord willing, next week is an invitation to intimacy, and the week after that will be this invitation. He said, you'll see greater things than this. And then he said, I tell you the truth, you will see heaven open, and the angels of God going up and down on the Son of Man, the one who is a stairway between heaven and earth. We'll talk about receiving and experiencing the power of God, open heaven, and what does that look like. So this morning, let's talk about what it means to come and to see. In order for us to respond to the invitation to be Jesus' people, we have to start with seeing. It's an invitation to see accurately. But here's the truth. The situation that we live in right now, it is very easy for us to not see accurately. Much of what we see is not based in the reality of heaven. The first problem is this. There's too many things to see. Right? Have you, ever been, have you ever gone into a situation where everything has been so detailed, like you can't observe enough? Like, let me, I'll break it down this way. How many of you have ever been to Darien Lake? Right? And when you walk into Darien Lake, Darien Lake, and I, I hate this phrase, but Darien Lake kind of is what it is, right? Doesn't matter who owns it, doesn't matter what company's running it. Um, you know, like we love Darien Lake, we love Kingdom Bound, we bless Darien Lake. This is where we go to have fun. But the truth is this, you can walk around it and you've seen everything. In fact, you kind of don't want to look a little too deep, right? You might, we'll just leave it there because this might get back to them and I don't want to be sued for defamation. But like the difference between Darien Lake and Disney World is that you can go to Disney World and you can look as deep as you want and you're always going to find something that's super intentional, super detailed. There is more to see than you've ever seen before, right? How many of you have been to Disney World? How many of you have, have like seen it, you've taken it, and you're like, I could go back there 30 more times and I still wouldn't experience it all? Because the, if you peel back the layers of Disney World, there is more to it and more to it. And more. They're just, they're experts at showing you something but having some substance behind it. The truth is this, much of what we see is not accurate there, because there's too much to see. We're, we're taking in messages all over the place. And a lot of the things that we're told, a lot of things that seem like reality to us are not in fact reality. And I want to challenge us as the people of God to a fast. And it's not a fast of of eating, it's a fast of media. And I don't just mean like the news sources you don't like. It's a fast of social media. It's a fast of news sources that we appreciate and think are accurate. Here's why. Beginning of the year, the Lord challenged me to a social media fast. And immediately, as soon as, as soon as he challenged, and I said yes, the enemy came and said, listen, if you do that, you will not know what's going on and you will not be able to minister effectively to your people. And now that's, that's a challenge, right? And I, oh, I'm gonna rise up to that. And the Lord, in his graciousness and goodness, he said, Josh, do you think that if you spent three weeks with me, four weeks with me, five weeks with me, that at the end of that five weeks, or even during those five weeks, that if you encountered somebody who had a need, that you, would, you could have no idea what anybody else is saying, but in that moment, I would bring the kingdom exactly what is needed. Because, because listening to him is based in reality. You can only listen to him and have everything you need. You don't have to ever listen to another person, another news source, another media source. You, will have, you and I will have everything we need if we just listen to the source. And so I want to challenge us to a two-week fast, to hearing his voice only. Because right now, many of us are thinking, I don't need to do that. I see just fine. I'm doing okay. But the truth is, we can think that we see clearly and absolutely miss it. And that's not a new phenomenon. 
In fact, Jesus spoke in, in the book of Revelation to seven churches, and the very last church that he spoke to was the church at Laodicea. Now, there's all different interpretations about what the actual church is. What the, was it something that was going on at that time that Revelation was written? Do they represent ages or churches or different times? Listen, it's the last church he speaks to, so let's just say it's to us, right? If we're living in the generation that he is coming back or could come back, right, because we believe that he is returning. If we are living in that generation, then he's speaking to us. Here's what he says to that generation. He says, this is the message. This is his, like how he starts. This is the message from the one who is the amen. The faithful and true witness. In other words, this is the guy who you can say, yes, that's true. This is the one who has it all together, who knows and sees and perceives exactly what it is. He says, this is a message from the beginning of God's new creation or the source of God's new creation. How many of you know when God speaks, Things are created, and whatever he speaks is accurate and true, and all of creation responds, even things that when there's nothing, uh, like the, the emptiness responds to his voice and something happens. This is Jesus speaking to his church, and what does he say? He says in verse 17, you say, I'm rich, and I have everything I want, and I don't need a thing, and you don't realize that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. How about that for an assessment of reality? We think everything's good. How many of you say, like, I'm all right, I'm doing good? Like, you go, okay? Like, we don't even think about it, I'm good. And yet, Jesus is saying, even when we think that, we can be, in actuality, wretched, miserable, blind, poor, and naked. And so what does he say? Verse 18, this is an invitation. So I advise you to buy gold and buy white garments for me so you'll not be shamed by your nakedness and ointment for your eyes so you'll be able to see. See, the invitation is to be with him, is to get from him what we need. And the invitation in explicitly here is that we can buy from him ointment for our eyes when we are willing to be humble enough to admit that we need it. Because you, if you don't think you need it, you're not going to buy it, right? Unless you're a shopaholic, but that's a whole other message. Right? If you don't need it, we don't go after it. Jesus is saying, you need it. Come after it, and I'll give it to you. It's found only in me. I correct and discipline everything, everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. And here's an incredible scripture. He says, look, look, like, look, I stand at the door and I knock. How many of you have ever heard that scripture before? It's usually preached in terms of salvation for people who don't know the Lord. This is a message to the church. He's speaking to you and to me. He's saying, I'm standing at the door of your heart this morning. I'm knocking. Would you, would you hear my voice? Would you open the door? And then he says what? I'm gonna come in and I'm gonna be with you. We're gonna share a meal together. Sharing a meal together is, is how we share life together. He says, I, I, we'll be together as friends. We need to first admit, though, that we're broken people. If we're gonna enter into the grace and the invitation, we have to be humble enough to, to hear when he says, look, pay attention to what's happening. So how do we see accurately? Do you wanna know how to see accurately? Good, because humble people, disciples know how, want to do that. John's disciples, when John said, look, that, that's the one right there. They were humble enough to say, see you, John. John was humble enough to say, pay attention right here. Like, you can go. Go do, like, this is where it's at. And so if we're going to be the people of God, walking as the people of God, we've got to be willing to see accurately. And how, I want to know how to see accurately, right? If, we, if we're blind, how do we become, how do we find ointment for our eyes? How do we become accurate in what we see and perceive? With all the stuff swirling around us, we can stop for a bit and just hear and listen to the voice of God. And that centers us, so we're gonna talk about how to do that. But here's the thing, eventually we're gonna enter back into a world where all the voices are swirling around. How do we see accurately? And here's what we'll look at in scripture this morning. Turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews. 
chapter 11. This is the hall of faith. This is where God is lining up all the people who have walked with him by faith. And, and he's, he's, he's saying, look, I want you to see how Abel walked by faith, how Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob, how they have responded in faith. And then he takes this little kind of break in the midst of this list of people that walk by faith. He says, I want to explain to you how this worked for them. And in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13, he says this, all these people died still believing what God had promised them. In other words, there was something that had sunk into them, even though they never saw it literally with their eyes, they saw it in a different way. They did not receive what was promised. Listen, but they all, I'm sorry, they saw it all from a distance. And they welcomed it. And they agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on the earth. Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they had longed for the country they had come from, they could have gone back. But they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So three ways. If you're taking notes, you can write them down. There's three things. We'll cover them briefly. The first is this. If we're going to see accurately, we've got to look forward. What do I mean by that? Scripture says they saw it from a distance. They weren't focused on what was right in front of them. The daily grind, the battles, what was happening in the nations around them, they were firmly had their eyes fixed on what God said was coming. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 10 says this, Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. What does that mean? There's kind of like three interpretations that you can take to that, and I think they're all pretty accurate. The first is this, that Abraham was looking forward prophetically, as God showed him, to the city of Jerusalem, where God would establish his covenant with, God, with, with his people and eventually through Jesus, that he, he had spiritual eyes to see a city designed and built by God. If you've been to Jerusalem, it's a wonderful city. It's not the city uh, that the Jews built, but it's mostly the city that the Ottomans built, but still, it's, it's an incredible place. That's, that's a good interpretation, but there's another interpretation, that Abraham, by faith, because just as much as he could see that by faith, he could also prophetically see the new heavens and the new earth, the new Jerusalem that God was building, where heaven came to earth, and God finally set up his kingdom in such a way. That, that, how many you know that's a powerful vision to live out of? And it's certainly an interpretation that you could take, but there's another interpretation, that Abraham was looking forward to a city designed and built by God, which was a gathering of people under the authority of God, under the dominion of God, under the design of God, that were called to live out their lives in such a way where the glory of God was displayed. That Abraham was looking by faith to seeing a city on a hill, the church of Jesus Christ, living in the fullness of its glory and of its power because it was connected to God, because it was designed and built by God. You and me. That... that that's good stuff. That Maybe I'm talking too fast. Abraham was looking forward to a city, a people, designed and built by God. He had, his, he had his faith firmly rooted in that. And if we're to be the people of God, we've got to look forward. We cannot stop where we're at. This is, this is the, the reality of what God's asking us to, to humbly say, this is not it. If you're living it right now, come and talk to me. Let's figure out how you got it. But my, my guess is every single one of us would say we have not arrived at what God dreams about. And if, we're, if we just anchor our hearts in the United States, I'm a patriot, I love America, but if we anchor our hearts first in America, we are missing what God has called us to live for, which is the kingdom. 
There should be a lot more amens to that. We can, we can love our country. We can be good citizens. But the truth is we have to be anchored in what God is calling us to. We haven't seen it yet. He's still leading us there. He says, don't look. He says, look forward, don't look back. He also says this. If we're going to see accurately, we have to long forward. What does that mean? They welcomed it. How many of you know there's a difference between hearing something and saying it's true and hearing something and it hitting your heart and like sinking deep into the reality of who you are? They welcome. That's what we do. When we hear what God's saying, if we are walking with him, if we're seeing accurately, that becomes the passionate beating of our hearts. It becomes the only thing we think about. It becomes a thing that explodes from within us. So they longed forward. They didn't long back. Scripture says they could have longed for a country they came from. What's he saying? Abraham and his father were very well-to-do. They were very well-off. They had everything taken care of in Ur. They had everything they'd taken, but they didn't have the presence of God in the place that God had called them to. And so they were willing to leave everything, and they didn't long for it. They didn't want to go back to it. Some of us are saying, if we could just go back, if we could just have this, we're holding on desperately to what's around us when God is calling us to let it go so he can take us to the new place in him, so he can take us to the reality of the glory of God in us and through us, so we could experience revival and walk into the fresh, powerful move of God now in the earth. But we can if our hearts long for what was past. Even the past moves of God, if we long for those things, we will be going backwards and not forwards into his kingdom. He wants to do something tomorrow that he never did before in you and me. And we cannot anchor our hearts in what was. And the third thing, if we're going to see clearly, is this. We have to live forward. We have to live forward. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads on the earth. And so what did it look like for them? Practically, it looked like they lived in tents and they were okay with it. They didn't accumulate. God was leading them to the city, but it wasn't about the city. It was like, I'm not made for this place, so I'm going to be temporary. I'm going to be movable. I'm going to be ready to go wherever God wants us to go. Scripture says this. And when uh, Hebrews 11, chapter 9. Sorry, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11. And even when he reached the land, God promised him. This is Abraham. He lived there by faith, for he was like a foreigner living in tents. And so did Isaac and Jacob who inherited the same promise. Because why? Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations designed and built by God. He lived in such a way that the reality of what he saw was how he lived now. Scripture says this. Chris, if you want to come, that'd be great. Scripture says this. We live by faith and not by sight. We're talking about seeing. It's very important that we understand we've got to see correctly. That, that, that's the first invitation that Jesus gives us. But here's the truth. We can't land there and we can't stay there. Because even what we, what, what, when we hear that scripture, we walk by faith and not by sight. Oftentimes we think like, here's the reality of, of faith and here's just kind of what I see around me. But here's what I'd also say. Even what we see spiritually needs to be filtered through faith if we're going to walk in it. Abraham, when he was called to sacrifice Isaac, didn't, didn't, live in like, oh my God, he just asked me to kill my son. That is not okay. I don't know what to do with that. That doesn't seem right. No, the scripture says he reckoned, he decided, he knew that God would somehow raise him from the dead. He went to belief instead of what he saw. I'll say it this way. The book of Revelation, how many of you would agree that the book of Revelation is full of God's truth? How many of you would agree that it's accurate in its reporting of what heaven looks like and the assessment of God and it, it, it's accurate in who Jesus is right now and who he's, 
who he's, who, what he's going to do when he returns to the earth. How many of you know that that's an accurate statement? It's truth. We, we look at it. It's all great sight. But here's the truth. Even that requires interpretation. Right? That requires an interpretation by faith. If we just see that and read that, we can come up with a thousand different, and we have a thousand different interpretations of what it is. But we must walk by faith. Where who, who is God? Who's he revealed himself to be in his word? If we read that and we don't walk by faith, we can look at it and say, this is just judgment. This is just terrifying. But if we walk by faith that he's good, and that his mercy endures forever, that he's leading us to eternal home, that he desires that all men be saved, and, and, and that he's a God that is coming to execute justice, but he's not coming back to, to deal with sin. He's coming back to bring salvation. This is what scripture says in Hebrews. He's coming back to bring salvation to those who, whose hope are in him. Then when we read that, we have a different interpretation because it's an interpretation by faith. And so God is calling us to see clearly, but not to interpret what we see by the natural, but to anchor our hearts, not in what we see, but who God is. Because here's the thing, I'll just be real plain, there's been a lot of people prophesying over the last six months who got it way wrong. People who were accurate in the past, people who have powerful ministries, people who love Jesus, but they, they saw something, their interpretation or our interpretation of what they said was off. And it's time for the people of God to not walk even by what we see spiritually. It's important that we see spiritually, but that we take it to faith. And we'll talk about what it looks like to walk in intimacy with God next week. So don't, like if you're watching online, come back next week. If you're here now, come back next week. We've got, I want to walk through this together. Because it's an invitation first to see. And here's, here's where we land when we see. If you just close your eyes for a minute. Can we admit that we don't see well? Can we admit there's more to see? Can we admit that, our, that we really are in some ways, not in some ways, in a lot of ways, broken, blind, naked, miserable, wretched? That, that the reality of heaven has not invaded our lives and earth like it ought to. That we're not seeing the kingdom advancing like God would have us see. That starts with not seeing well. And if, if we're going to walk in this, we've got to be humble enough to say, this is where we're at, God. Help us to see. And we trust you to walk us into intimacy and power. But let's start with the humility to admit what we see right now. If you're here this morning and you want to see more clearly, you want God to, to invade your life, you want to have your heart anchored in heaven, you want to see forward, you want to long forward, you want to live forward, if that's what you want to do this morning, I just want to encourage you or ask you to make a bold statement. Would you stand so I can pray? God, you see your people standing before you. And we don't just do this as a religious exercise. We don't do this because it's the end of service so we can get up and go. We're saying we need to see like you see. We want to have our hearts anchored in heaven. So we accept and receive your invitation with joy to come and see like you see, to walk with you like never before. Lord, may your kingdom come into our lives. And Lord willing, next week, would you walk us into intimacy? Would you walk us into power? Would you walk us into the greatest time we have ever seen because we're willing to admit that we need you and we need your presence like never before in jesus name amen jake's coming now to dismiss us god bless you